Hi, welcome to Unscripted by Twine. I'm Diana Rao, and I'm your host. In this podcast, my guests choose from a library of deep and thought-provoking questions, and we just talk about it for 15 or 20 minutes. Our hypothesis is that as long as we choose meaningful questions, we'll end up in a conversation worth having. As Carl Sagan says, we make our world significant by the courage of our questions and the depth of our answers. Ready? Let's go. You chose two beautiful questions, and it was important to weave the first, like start with the first one because it sort of weaves into the second. So let's just start there. And the question, one of the questions you chose was, are you criti- critical of your own physical health and how so? So tell me more about like why you chose this question, why it speaks to you. Mm. Well, it's a, good, it's a good question. And I get, I mean, I picked it. Um, I, <laughs> I used to be, um, and in some ways still am very critical of my own physical health. And I'm somebody who's in shape. Like if somebody saw me, they'd be like, oh, like that person is in shape. Um, I, I ran uh, a half marathon. I hadn't ran in four years. I just tried to do it and did it. Um, I wow. played tennis. I trained Muay Thai. Um, I did CrossFit for years. Um, and the interesting thing is, no matter how much I was lifting or no matter how fast I was running, I wasn't actually happy with how strong I was or how I looked. It, it was this like never ending cycle of I need to do more, lift more, push more. Um, and there was no resting peace with where I was at. Um, and it turned out that that was just one area where that was true. That kind of sentiment mm. of feeling like I always needed to improve, always needed to push forward, go faster, do more. Um, that was a universal thing in all areas of my life, whether I was conscious of it or not. Um, and that's why this question really speaks to me because I've, maybe in the last year or so, a lot of that's been mm-hmm. uncovered and I hardly, I hardly lift weights anymore. I don't care how much I can squat. I swim, mm-hmm. I dance, I do things that are fun and things that I enjoy um, instead of things that I feel I quote unquote have to do in order to get somewhere. Mm. Wait, so how did this, how did this transformation come to come to be? Good question. It, it has nothing to do with physical health. That was actually um, kind of a byproduct that just came out of a, a lot of self-inquiry and self-exploration. Um, and mm. physical health was just one of, one of the areas of my life where I was like, oh, wow. Like, it's just so obvious that a lot of it was rooted in, you know, whatever the opposite of self-love and self-acceptance is, mm-hmm. it, it was that. That was everywhere in my life. I mean, what, what kind of person feels the need to improve and fix everything? Well, the kind of person that's not satisfied with where they are. Um, and there's nothing wrong with improvement. It's just coming from a different place when you're dissatisfied with who you feel you are in that moment. Yeah. So what, what was like, what was driving you to feel this way? Like when you were doing the introspection and looking at the motivators, um, or, or the causes, like the causal factors that led you to 
have this sense of like, I'm never going to be good enough. I, I have to do all these things like that sense of like, where did, was that something from childhood? Was it something from work? Like, where did that, where did that, where was, I want to understand the root. Mm, the root. Oof, there we go way back. Uh, the root is probably around middle school. Um, long story short, I had a group of friends um, that I was very, very close with elementary school and then maybe around sixth grade or so there was, I entered into like this two or three year period where that group of friends didn't want to be my friend anymore. Um, and that was not a fun time in my life. And, you know, when you're, when you're like 11 or 12 and all of a sudden the people who you're really close to um, don't want to be close to you anymore, you don't look at them and be like, hmm, where's that coming from? You look at yourself yeah. and be like, oh shit, like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't cool enough. Mm. I wasn't tall enough. I wasn't athletic enough. I wasn't something enough to make these kids like, like me, like there's something wrong with me. Um, mm. And I think that went, that, that dug really deep. Josh, thank you for sharing that. I want to, I want to, like, I feel like so many, <laughs> I can give you so many stories <laughs> of middle school and how much middle school traumatized and has still, uh, has still shaped our experiences today. But so this, this experience in middle school, um, with this sort of like mean group of friends who rejected you, like how, so that effect lasted for how many years then? Oh God. I mean, I think, I think in some way it's like, it's, it's still a part of, still a in, in a sense, a part of my internal narrative. Um, but mm. I'd say like it was really strong until maybe um, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And I think I really got to the core of it maybe around a year ago. Mm. Okay. Can you tell about how, what it was like getting to the core of it? Well, what were the insights that came up for you? Because I know there, it's, introspection is quite a journey. Um, are, is there a particular moment that stood out to you or was it an aggregate of small moments that then led to the ultimate point where you, you can say that, you know, a year ago is the time when a lot of this shifted for me? Ah, okay. So I think there was like a two year period of my life. Um, I guess a bit more conduct in my life that maybe would be helpful here. Um, <laughs> so after, after, you know, I had that experience in middle school what happened in my head was like, all right, if I'm not good enough for these kids, I'm just going to be the smartest kid in the school. I'm going to get the best mm. grades and I'm going to go to the best college and then I'll show them what they missed out on. Like that was, that was a real thing that played yeah. somewhere subconsciously. So I, I, I did those things. I got great grades. I went to a great school. Um, but the side effect of that is my identity and self-worth became very deeply entangled with academics. Um, and I felt a lot of self-worth coming from my report cards and transcripts and honors courses. And I started a company, um, my freshman year in college. And, you know, as it made progress, I made the decision to drop out. And on paper, this looks like tremendous life progress. Like, holy shit, like company is moving forward and Josh is dropping out and they're doing all these things. But internally, it was, it was chaos. It was probably the first time when I really, like, when shit really hit the fan mentally. 
and I was dealing with sadness mm. and feelings of depression and anxiety. And I, and I didn't know where they were coming from. Cause mind you at this time, I didn't feel like I had that level of self-awareness. It was just mm. like, Oh my God, like the rug was just totally pulled out from under me. And I had all this comfort and certainty and internal value from school um, that was no longer mm-hmm. there. And at the same mm. time, um, my girlfriend and I, who which was also a huge sense of comfort and worth and support, um, broke up all in the span of like a couple of weeks. So oh, I went yeah. from you know feeling good, having this company, having school, having having girlfriend that was really wonderful, and then all of a sudden like shit, you ain't got none of that. Okay, and, so this sounds like yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean that that was that was like I'd say the first big inflection point in my adult life um for when a lot of this when when that started this inquiry wow okay so this i mean this is actually i now understand why you chose these two questions because there is an incredible (laughs) segue here into so in this lowest moment where you've had like the rug pulled under you from everything that you've built your identity around i mean enter a discussion about mental health and this is, this is the second question. It's like, how has your relationship to mental health changed over time? And I can see like, oh, there's like before the inflection point, after the inflection point, and then what? So let's, let's dive there. You want to share some sure. of your um, thoughts there? Yeah. So, so I guess like from a binary point of view, at that inflection point, my relationship with mental health went from not having one to having one because all of a sudden <laughs> I was feeling all these things that were not pleasant to feel. Um, and they weren't going away. They weren't going away no matter what the on-paper progress of my life looked like. Um, mm. So for, for a period of six months, you know, the company made progress. We did fundraising, all these things. But I, I just felt really crappy. Um, I felt so just, I felt guilt. I felt sadness. I felt anxiety all over the place. And it wasn't going away. And I think I, I hit this point. I think it was maybe November or so of 2017 or 2018 um, when I was like, all right, I've tried just about everything I can do on my own. Um, It's probably a good idea to talk to other people about this. Uh, I'm very grateful. Um, A number of friends have been tremendously impactful in my life. Uh, A friend of mine happened to be just like immensely well-connected in the therapy community in New York. And mm. she helped me find like the perfect therapist um, who's been awesome. And another friend of mine, um, we hung out for, for, for maybe a full day in Miami. And he and I had been, had a you know, working relationship. He was one of our mentors. And on this day, we, we talked about a whole lot that wasn't work. And we crossed this boundary where I felt safe to be vulnerable with him about how I was actually feeling about things. And he wasn't reactive. He, he wasn't judgmental. He was actually pointing straight to the truth about what's going on to me. This whole narrative around self-worth and identity and the company and my title and the school all being tied to it. And I was like, holy shit, like no one has talked to me about this stuff before. I hadn't yet started therapy. And I was like, how do I, how do I think like that? Like, where, where'd you learn to think like this? Um, and I thought the answer was in a book or a podcast or something I can do at home. 
And he's like, oh, easy. I just did this program called Landmark. Um, so oh, yeah, Landmark. Yeah. I, have you done it? Have you heard about it? I have. I did do Landmark. You know, I had so many friends who kept recommending I do Landmark over probably a three to five year period. And then finally, <laughs> you know, the funniest part is Daniel, my partner, he actually ended up uh, for my birthday, like one of our first birthdays together. Um, he was like, my gift to you is Landmark. And I was like, wow, you really know me too well. Like, it's just really, it was, it was very, so we actually did it together. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Like you learn about stories, you learn about, there, there's a lot of tools and tips there. It's like, uh, it's therapy compressed into a three day weekend, basically. Yep. <laughs> yep. So yeah. I did, I did Landmark and it's therapy compressed into a three day weekend. I also think about it in terms of like, it's just Buddhist enlightenment compressed into a three day weekend. Um, mm-hmm. it was a great three days. It was a great three days. I, I, I left those three days feeling like I had shed a hundred pounds that I didn't know I had. Um, so that was pretty freaking yeah. magical. And that wow. was about yeah. a year ago. Yeah. That was about a year ago. Um, and at this point I definitely had a relationship with mental health and it was a pretty good one. Um, and the last year has been losing that relationship. It's been practicing it. It's been deepening it. It's been, you know, failing at it in some ways. Um, and it's been kind of trying to reinforce and build and develop, um, all the things I know to be true. Amazing. You know, one thing I'm, as you spoke, you said the last year I've been using this relationship practicing, uh, um, practicing, I think practicing what the art of mental health or awareness or however you want to think about it. Mm. Um, how do you practice self love? Oh, that's such a good question because I had such a struggle with it. Um, I don't, we all don't, we all. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I have a funny anecdote. Um, I want to hear actually your, I really want to hear your answer to this, but I have a funny anecdote for you that relates to this in the entire conversation. Um, there was a, there was a period of time when I was curious how people would respond to the question, like, when did you know you were beautiful? And, Mm. uh, and most people, I mean, it's it's like most responses were like, oh, in high school at this point, or I still don't know. And then there was a very tiny subsegment of a population, like just a couple people, a handful of people who would respond with, oh, I've always known. Like I've always known since I was born. And I was like, what? Where did that come from? Like, how do you have self-love from the moment you're born? Right. But I think for the, for like the 99% of everyone else who doesn't have whatever that thing was that they had, um, it's a, it's a constant struggle. And it's a, it's, it's one of the, I love the way you said it's the, um, shedding a hundred pounds you didn't know you had, like the practice of self-love and the importance of it is one of those things that you don't even know how important it is until it really hits you in the face. So coming back to you, I'd love to hear, um, how, like the steps you've taken to try to practice self-love where where the struggle is like what's hard what if you have any like tactics tools that have worked well also I'm very curious from a gender perspective too like what is it like for men to practice self-love do you talk about self-love with other men like how what does that look like how is it different from how Mm. women think about self-love so many things and I know we've gone far off track and this was definitely not on the question list but I'd love to hear what you think it's called unscripted so I I know what I signed up for (laughs) Uh, so 
look, when, when I think about self-love, there, there's, there's the things that I do. Um, I journal, I, I meditate, I take baths, I read Harry Potter, um, you know, I, <laughs> I exercise. There, there's, I seriously got deep into Harry Potter over the last month and a half as a side note. It's so good. Um, I love that Harry Potter is one of your expressions of self-love. I read Harry it, Potter. It is. That is self-love. It is. And, 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 and I, I guess, like, yes, I, I, I do those things. And, and those, I guess I could say, is, that's how I practice self-love. But I, I think for me, the, the practice of it is more about identifying, like, where am I not doing that? Like, where am I being super hard on myself? Where am I being very restrictive about what I can and can't do? Um, and noticing like those patterns as they happen and then choosing a different action. Um, here's, here, here's an example. It's like, and look, people might disagree with this, but let's say, let's say I'm, I'm, um, I'm cooking breakfast. And mm -hmm. I usually have eggs or oatmeal or something healthy. Let's say one morning I wake up and I'm like, fuck eggs, I want to have pancakes. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the Josh that's not practicing self-love would be like, no, you must have eggs. You know, tie, tying back to physical health is like, you got to eat this many mm. grams of protein today, this many calories, da da da, -da. you've got to do that like drill sergeant Josh takes over and like that's who's controlling my <laughs> actions. Like honestly, and it's like, that's not a loving drill sergeant. That's not tough love. That's just like a dude who's seriously mad at himself. It's like, <laughs> you must do this or else, or else, or else what? Um, the self love Josh would look at that and be like, hmm, like where's that really coming from? Do I have to have eggs? Who said that? And it's like, look in the mirror. I, I'm, I'm actually in pretty good shape. Um, I'm not in any, you know, I'm not in any dire need to, to like really enforce a super strict diet. And again, I know there's a ton of commentary on habit building and all of that. Um, but for me in that area, it's just like, Hey, you can have some pancakes and you're not going to die. Like go, go make some amazing banana chocolate chip, put on all the syrup you want, have some fun. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I'm all about the chocolate chip cookies. I got to tell you, all chocolate yeah. chip cookies all day. That's a whole different story. I love um, the way you just uh, talked about like these two bipolar versions of you, like dr the drill sergeant Josh and self-love Josh. You know, um, it reminds me of this, uh, this conversation I was having about anger and how so often you see these things like anger is a negative emotion, but there's actually positivity to some level of anger sometimes, depending on how it manifests. Is there a, a like is there any role for drill sergeant Josh where drill sergeant Josh is like a good thing for you? Oh, I love that you asked that question. Because here's the other part of, of self-love that I've kind of discovered for myself. Is that, mm. you know, whether I like it or not. Drill Sergeant Josh is going to be a part of who I am. You know, the entire human experience mm. consists of anger and sadness and frustration and jealousy and also peace and love and empathy and connection and intimacy. It has all of those things inside of it. And like, 
so long as I have the narrative that one is good and one is bad, that's not mm. self-acceptance. That's conditional self-acceptance. That's I accept myself if Joel Sergeant Josh is not showing up today. Um, mm. Ultimate, I think the ultimate self-acceptance, the ultimate practice of you know what I'm trying to get to, which clearly is a struggle because you know you brought up a great point just now, um, is looking at Joel Sergeant Josh and being like, hey buddy, like I see you there. I know, I know you're, you're, you know, you're 10th and you want to make sure we have the best outcome. Um, but for today, I'm going to have pancakes and maybe tomorrow we'll have eggs. And it's okay if you're still upset, you can feel whatever you feel. And then there's a whole oh, other side where gosh. like, yeah, maybe, maybe Drill Sergeant Josh has a point. Like maybe I'm in a bit of a bender and I've had pancakes two weeks in a row. And he's like, dude, you're falling off the wagon. Like you're not running as fast and forget about, you know, you need to do this. It's just like, you don't feel as good and that's not healthy and you want to live a long, healthy life. So maybe today is the day when you, you know, put away the Aunt Jemima and pick out the egg. Um, mm. So I, I, I think you're so wise in bringing that up. I, I love, I just love what you said here, especially around like, I, I actually think it's quite funny when you have this conversation with yourself. So when you're talking to your drill sergeant, Josh, and you say, hey, buddy, I see you there. I know you want to just make sure we have a good outcome. And that's such a loving way of saying it. Like, I know what you're doing is actually for what you believe to be for our good, right? Greater good. But it's like, I feel like the challenge of life is finding the balance of um, enough, right? It's like, what's enough, drill sergeant, Josh? Because there's a, there's a, there's like a, there's a, whether it's a tablespoon or a teaspoon or a cup of Drill Sergeant Josh, there's like a degree of this version of you that's actually quite good. And so, yeah, life is complex. This is, this is beautiful. <laughs> I feel like this is actually an incredible stopping point. We could talk, talk for like ages, but I just, this has been so much fun. I can't even, do you love this? Do you have thoughts? Questions? I, so this I, part <laughs> we can actually like take out of the recording because I'm just like gushing now. I'm just happy. I thought this was awesome. I had, I had so much fun and I'm so glad that I listened to not drill sergeant josh in preparing for this um <laughs> way more fun and you know like think about his life unfolding you gotta let it do its thing sometimes and you know drill sergeant josh it all wants to survive the whole ego just wants to survive and you know what like it probably will but survival has nothing to do with joy and fulfillment and peace and love so you're right it's like a total freaking balance and some days you're balancing the bike some days you're falling over um but this was such a fun conversation to re-presence that for myself. So thank you for I, doing this. This is fantastic. Oh my gosh. No, I love everything. You know, what's so amazing to me is like magic just happens. It's just like no preparation needed. I just, I just think that there's something fundamental in our human experience that like literally when you ask the right question, or you, like, you talk about the things that actually matter to you, it all, like, there's no level of preparation that's needed. You can just be you, and just you is, like, beautiful, like, beautiful and insightful and thoughtful, because you're pulling from, like, I don't know, the, the essence of your life experience, the stuff that is both most meaningful and insightful, but also the most painful, and I just, like, I don't know, Josh, like, I just want a world where... You, you know this, like when we're going to walk out and meet a stranger and then bam, this is the kind of conversation that happens because that's basically what we just did. We just like jumped on and then went straight into this question and I learned so many amazing things about you and I love the way you think about all this. 
Mm. You can't see me, but I'm like smiling ear to ear. Um, thank you. <laughs> that was really beautiful. Everything yeah. you just said. Well, now, well, now I know that Harry Potter is part of your self love. Okay. I know so many things now. This is just going to be, it's going to be like, I feel like I all of your friends play. who listen are going to be sending you. Oh, you saw the play? Wait, there's a I play. I saw the is play. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I had to announce. It was so good. <laughs> okay. Do I need to go? Maybe I need to go see the play. Is this happening? You go, oh my God. Are, you, are you okay. a Harry Potter fan? I am a Harry Potter fan, except for like, I was a Harry Potter fan from like middle school and high school. I think you're like a late Harry Potter bloomer, right? Oh, I <laughs> did, did you not am. read the books when they came out? I, I didn't. Look, I mean, continuing oh the part gosh. of what is self-love, I went to Hawaii over, over Christmas break, my family, and mm-hmm. I was thinking about what book I wanted to bring. And um, mm. there, I, I, was, I was reading The Power of Now. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good book. I was in a bit of a rut. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good book to get me out of it. And then I just start reading it. I get so stressed. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing everything <laughs> wrong. I'm fucking it all up. Like, oh, I need to fix something. I, you know, Eckhart Tolle is probably right now. I'm probably wrong about all this. And, and, then, and then I was talking to my friend Joyce, and she was like, Josh, you don't have to read that right now. And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> and she's like, no, you don't. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't. You're right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't oh have my to God, read it right now. Who was saying that? And it's like, drill sergeant Josh. <laughs> and that was a time. Yeah. You know, he, he could have taken a nap. So I, I, w- I went oh, downstairs. Wow. And, and my parents had this stack of books uh, from when, I guess, like, from when I was growing up. Maybe I didn't remember. Um, and I see Harry Potter, and I'm like, done. I just knew. I didn't question it. I'm like, done. Done. Picked up the Sorcerer's Stone, and I just, like, ate it. Like, I devoured it. It was delicious. Okay. Wait, I love this. Uh, let me ask you something, though. I'm very curious about this. Has Drill Sergeant Josh gotten something unexpected out of reading the Harry Potter books that were originally for self-love, Josh? Ooh. I have to look. Mm, that's a really good question. Just a question. It occurs to me because um, I'm similar in that way. Read ton. I read like years of nonfiction, and I love I love nonfiction. Um, but also there is that element of I'm reading lots of nonfiction for self improvement all the time. And so it's like, how do I pile on my second, like my third degree education, right? Basically, by reading as many books as possible. And mm-hmm. um, and I have a friend who loves reading fiction only. Uh, actually my co-founder so he all he like never reads nonfiction, only reads science fiction <laughs> so <laughs> I was like you know I haven't I haven't read any science fiction since high school I used to be like Isaac Asimov all science fiction I loved all science fiction and so then for a period of time like I picked up my first fiction book it was actually a book called Nexus which by the way is the probably the best book I've read in 20 years um Whoa, so Nexus? I read Nexus yeah, it's okay. So the premise is that I just have to tell you the premise because it's relevant to this conversation. The premise mm-hmm. is that um, we're in a near near future state where a drug has been designed that you take, and then when you take that drug, you're able to mind meld. So you plug into brain to brain interfacing instantly, and so it talks about everything that happens from there on out and how it, the drug can be used for good, it can be used for bad, and it's a multi series, and it just the future world like. I don't know what I what I rediscovered in reading fiction 
so the, there was a part of me which was like self-love diana was like oh fiction what a great break like i'm just going to indulge in some science fiction but the other part of me the growth oriented diana was like wow i really like seeing characters even fictional characters of plot like instead of like an Eckhart Tolle experience where you're being told sort of what to do there's something about seeing the metal of a person's spirit and how they prove out against fictional circumstances that puts your mind in a place where you start thinking like if that was me would I make the same decision and this is this can't be more true than for Harry Potter who's put into all sorts of situations and all of his friends right where it's like would I have the courage to do x would I compromise here would I have made the shitty decision here so there's something like what I sort of found with fiction is that Gross Diana was actually really excited about fiction after a while. I was like, whoa, I'm learning so much from how these characters respond to moral conundrums that um, it's almost like a simulation. It's like putting you in a simulation mm. versus, you know, there's something interesting. I feel the same way about movies, by the way. Like there was a period of time when I was like, movies are a waste of time. They're junk for your brain. Like I can't use Netflix. Uh, totally on the other spectrum. I literally think that movie content and tv series are as close as you can get to um a simulation of a circumstance like would you would you you know if you were a viking like would you behave like this would you make these types of decisions like there's so much stuff that happens in these like it's just amazing because it's compressed like you get to live many lives in the course of one lifetime by experiencing life from the perspective of these characters and sometimes I would argue like that in our current lives, we don't get to, we don't get that much trial by fire unless you're in a startup or you're in a hard situation. But what you can see is like how other people behave when they're in very difficult situations and then like really have all the context. And I love, I don't know, I feel like it's its own type of growth journey. I am a billion percent on the same page. And your journey in your relationship with TV and movies I, I, I strongly resonate with that. Um, right. I went through a period of time and I was like, movies are bad. It's junk for the brain. It's candy. Yeah. The mental diet is like, I can't watch all that crap. Then I started watching like a couple of things and I was like, oh my God, I'm learning so much from people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because it's just a story. And my life is also just a story. And I can relate to that a lot better than like, the extracted lessons of the story than if, if I just actually see the thing happen. Like there's a scene That's in, um, like, like there's a scene that was so moving in, in the new Spider-Man movie. Um, the, the one, mm. the, the visual one into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the young, have you seen it? I haven't. I haven't. It's on my list. Okay. So I'll give you the, 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 the scene without any spoilers. So, so basically there's this, the, the young Spider-Man, um hasn't really had much experience and he's kind of trying to get his footing and the spider-man from the other dimension that's not a spoiler it's called into the spider-verse um (laughs) spider-man from the other dimensions you know they're they're much more experienced they have their shit together they've been doing this for years like they're so good at you know spinning webs and all that stuff and young spider-man is just trying to get his footing and they're going off to defeat the bad guy and young Spider-Man wants to come. And the older Spider-Man is like, you can't do it, it's too, it's too risky, and winds up tying him up so he can't actually leave. And he's, he, the young Spider-Man asks the guys like, ah, I'm, when will I know when I'm ready? When will I know when I'm ready? Like, he's, he keeps hearing he's not ready yet, and older Spider-Man's like, you never know. 
You just do it. Mm-hmm. It's a leap of faith. And that stuck mm-hmm. so hard. It's like, you never know when you're ready. You just don't. That's the nature. Like Harry Potter doesn't know when he's ready to defeat Voldemort. Doesn't know what the hell's going on in Chamber of Secrets. He doesn't know he's ready to defeat like a big ass python, like or ride a hippogriff. He has no idea. He has no clue. <laughs> it's a leap of faith every time. That's a vulnerable and scary thing to do. But that's where the magic is. Mm, okay, this brings up so I sorry, I this is like this is so funny because I have endless endless questions that get sparked by everything that you say one one question that came to mind immediately is um that leap of faith that magic that happens when you have no idea whether something's going to work and you do it anyway do you have a story you can share of a moment like that for you let me think okay i love putting on the spot isn't this fun unscripted (laughs) um By the way, I don't have, like, when I think about this question for me, I don't, this is a curveball because I, sometimes, like, I throw out a question and someone's like, oh, what about your answer? And I'm like, I have no idea. I just made up this question. I literally have no idea. And oh, part you're of the hard part, excellent I, questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's complicated. It's a complicated one because everything happens in such an accelerated form in a novel or a movie. So it's like, oh, shocking. And then also there's drama, right? It's like, holy crap, you got attacked by X. But in our lives, our lives seem to move so much slower and so much, so much safer in so many ways. Like, it's not, um, it's a very rare circumstance which, when something out of the blue completely knocks you on your ass and you are, you are put in a situation where you either act according to your morals or you don't, where you are asked to exercise courage or not. Like, I feel like those defining moments are almost like difficult to find in just day-to-day civilian average human life, you know? Mm. Totally. I was curious if something popped up in your mind. <laughs> Some things are popping up into mind, but nothing like a bite-sized story for a podcast. Um. <laughs> so this your next episode with me. That's what it's going to be. We're going to talk about your non-bite-sized story of the moment of that moment of magic well well, you know like here's here's just like between two two people just talking um when, when i think about that like that leap of faith moment you know my my first my mind my mind first went like oh what was like some big defining leap of faith in my life in my life but something mm-hmm. i've gotten really into recently um that kind of like is an expression of a bunch of leaps of faith um, is playing drums and dancing. Uh, I, I started to go to these it. things called ecstatic dance and there's other things like five rhythms, um, all around New York. And this is basically a group of people who go into a room and just move and there's music and they just move and there's no fucks given. There's no judgment. Like the only one judging you is you. So I can go into this face and feel judged and feel uncomfortable but I do know that it's all coming from inside me no no one else is doing it which is kind of the same as life but you just feel it all contained in this room um so there's like a number of leaps of faith I take and I'm like ooh, like can I put my arms over my head is that okay oh let me do it see what happens and I do it and like 
life is okay. It's like, ooh, I want to go dance with that person. Like, they're moving really beautifully. Like, how would that work? Oh, let me just do it. Ah, jump in. And, you know, sometimes it clicks and it's flow and sometimes it's clunky and it, and it doesn't. But those are all mini leaps of faith when you experience the same lessons that you learn out in the real world. It's like I, I, started, I started learning the djembe, which is an African drum, after seeing somebody play mm. at an ecstatic dance. And I was like, holy shit, that's insane. Um, and my first time playing, like it was in a group. And, and the instructor's like, okay, Josh, now you solo. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, me solo? Like, are you kidding me? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I, I don't have to have no pattern. I have no rhythm. I don't know any of this, like, anything. Um, but people were looking at me, and I was like, all right, shit, let's see, let's see what happens. And I just oh jumped God. in, and it was, at some points, it was basic. And at some points, I had no idea what I was doing, and it sounded terrible. And at some points, it was, like, kind of in the flow. Um, but mm. I had to jump in you know, ready or not, hey, I got called out, jump in. I love it. It sounds like the ultimate expression of self-love for mm. all forms of you, both self-love Josh and Drill Sergeant Josh who says, I want to learn new stuff and be better because it sounds like better, but better for your soul, you know? Ooh, exactly. Exactly. I love it. Hey, I want to come with you next time I'm, I'm in New York. I'm totally serious. Yes. Um, I really, so my longtime dream has been to, and this is like, I have actually found the studios here in Phoenix that actually teach this. I just have to go do it. Have you heard of Tyco drums? Tyco? Mm-hmm. Like the artist or the kind of drum? The kind of drumming. T-A-I-K-O. No. I'm okay. Not. So it's the Japanese drumming art where it's the giant drum. So it's like dance drumming. Oh, like, okay, I right. You. So I saw them for the first time in Taiwan, probably in college, um, at like a monastery, and they were doing a performance. And all these, you know, awesome monks or just like dancers. And these drums are so big; they're human-sized drums. So when you play the drum, you're actually doing a full-body dance to like be able to play the drum. Which I was like, I want to do that. Like that was amazing. And there happens to be, you know, it's fate. Like, I think we were having dinner the other night and actually drove by and it was like Taiko Drum Studio. And I was like, wait, what? Here? Local? Where? How? So you've now inspired me. I think I need to get into Taiko Drumming, like, immediately. I am, I am honored. And also, whenever you come to New York, let's just Taiko Drum together. I'm in. I love it. Okay, we're doing this. I'm just very excited for everything now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like me we too. should just have these kinds of conversations, like, all the time. You know, I just, I just, I don't know. I, it's so funny. Um, there's a really selfish part of me for like, there's a selfish reason for making a podcast like this. One is just cause like, I kind of just love connecting with my favorite people like this. Like, this is just great. So <laughs> it's like a highlight to life, you know, in general, it's, but thank you so much for taking awesome. the time. Yeah. Thank, I love it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I, yes. I so believe in what, your company is doing and, and what this podcast stands for. So like I, I am beyond honored to be and contribute in any way possible. Oh, so lucky to have you. Okay. I can't wait. So we'll catch up soon. Um, but until next time. Yeah. Until next time. Sending you lots of love. So how to Daniel too. Right back at you. I will. Thanks so much, Josh. Bye. Of course. Bye guys.